paradigm number one is? Praise God. Now, if you'd have said that this morning, you'd have got a chocolate. There you go, see? But then, again, you say, I wasn't leading the meeting this morning. So, yeah, so, if you like, actually, we actually bribe people in the Thai service. <laughs> so, we're moving on to paradigm number two. So, we'll just have a quick, brief summary of um, the paradigms. The first one, we call to disciple nations, not just individuals. The one we're looking at tonight, or starting to look at, is the marketplace, which is the heart of the nation, has been redeemed, and now it needs to be reclaimed. Then we'll go on to look, Margaret's going to uh, take us through every Christian is a minister and labour is worship. Then uh, Nock is going to take us through, we are called to take the kingdom of God to where the gates of hell are for Jesus to build his church. And then finally, I'm going to come back and teach. Well, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm, you know what I mean. I, I will be teaching on nation transformation must be tangible and the premier social indicator is the elimination of systemic poverty. And even I'm wondering what I'm going to say about that. Praise God. So, over the past three weeks, we've looked at paradigm one. Right? We're called to disciple nations, not just individuals. This is our starting point. And unless we understand that, unless we, we, we believe that, yeah, individuals are important, we need to lead people to Christ, that's why it says, not just. Okay? It's not instead of, a few people have been a bit uh, puzzled about that during the week, it's not instead of, it's as well as. What we're doing is enlarging the cords of our tent. We're, we're enlarging our vision, right? We're saying that we want to see the whole nation discipled, not just one or two people increasing the church size here, but, in, but affecting the whole nation. Hallelujah. So, this is our starting point. And unless we understand this, we will not understand the other four paradigms. So hopefully... We've got some understanding on that, and we've got a little bit of agreement. You might not agree with everything I say, but maybe you can agree that as a church, as we grow in influence and numbers, we can change the nation. Hallelujah. So the second paradigm is this. The marketplace, which is the heart of the nation, has been redeemed, and now it needs to be reclaimed. Now we've got some business people here tonight. We've got people involved in education here tonight. And it's very important for us to understand that we are, what, what we do as business people, as people involved in education, people involved in government, we actually affect the nation. We are the heart, the pulse of the nation. In 1972, anybody remember 1972? Praise the Lord. Okay, thanks, Mark. I was, I was getting worried then. I thought, was any I here? Right. Anyone remember 1972, there was a woman by the name of Lisa Minnelli. Anybody heard of Lisa Minnelli? Well, Lazar with a Z. Right? Right? Lazar with a Z. And she sang a song, right? Money makes the world go around. Right? You know it, Julie. Right, money makes the world go around, the world go around, the world go around. Right, okay. 
Pardon? Right? And I knew she wore a leotard when she sang it. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> if you thought Malcolm was bad without glasses, he'd go blind if he saw me like that. So, <laughs> humanly speaking, we might say that that is true. Money makes the world go around. It does, doesn't it? Humanly speaking, it makes the world go around. Even in the church, we need finance. That's why we took up an offering. We need finance to provide for the everyday outworking of our vision. And I'd like to say that the wealth of a nation actually determines its role on the world stage. So money is a very important commodity today. Now, some people wrongly quote the Bible, and they say money is the root of all evil. But the Bible does not say that. It does not say that at all. There's nothing wrong in money. If there was, why on earth do every ch does every church on the planet take up an offering? There's nothing wrong with money at all. The Bible actually says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right? So there's two words missing mostly when people quote that. Right? So it's not even the love of money is the root of all evil. That's not right either. It's the root of all kinds of evil. But the love of money is wrong. If we put money before God, if we put money before our family, before our relationships, that is wrong. But sadly, in the world today, lots of people do. Now, I'm going back even further than Lisa Minnelli and even further back than uh, Margaret or Derek can remember. Right? <laughs> Because the year is, <laughs> picture with me, the year is 1776, right? <laughs> so I don't think you can remember back that far, right? Okay. The year is 1776. And there's a Scotsman by the name of Adam Smith. Does anyone know why Adam Smith is famous? John, I was banking on John. I bet you've read it, haven't you? What did he write? Whoa, John. Okay, we will go now to we will go now to the Prince of Songkla University resident expert <laughs> Professor David Wheel. What book did he write? Praise half right. Half right. Okay. He actually wrote five books, right? Entitled Inquiry into the nature and causes of the wealth of nations. Right. There you go. Mm. Praise God. So I think that's one each. One for John. One for David. Praise the Lord. So uh, every time I ever see John, he's got a book in his hand. And it's always a book that I think God never read that. Right? It's always like some in-depth, real deep kind of novel. Like, you know, I mean, forget Tolstoy. Tolstoy, he was reading Tolstoy when he was three, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's read sort of the entire works of Dostoevsky and all that kind of stuff. You know, he's just incredible. Right, all right then. So, if you want to know anything about literature, ask John. But in his insights, 
This is not John, actually, but Adam Smith, right? Adam Smith's insights have influenced the world of economics and politics ever since. And in turn, those economic and political principles have affected the way every person on earth lives. You might not realize it, but Adam Smith influences you and your way of life. One of the things that he wrote was this, very interesting. There is no art, it's actually on the screen. There is no art which one government sooner learns of another than that of draining money from the pockets of the people. Right? That's what governments do, isn't it? I, don't governments take your money? Right? Now, there's not so much income tax in Thailand, but boy, if you come from one of the Western nations, you, 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 I used to get my pay slip when I was a school teacher. I'd take my pay slip out and I'd see the number at the top and I'd go, whoa, look what I got. And then I'd look at the bottom. And where's it all gone? <laughs> right? And it was just income tax, national insurance, a superannuation. There's all kinds of stuff. And they just dump, 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 dump. big chunks taken out. And the bit that you had back at the bottom wouldn't even fill your pocket. But this is the world we live in. And by and large, the world is not fair, is not a fair one for the majority of people. And I want to tell you something. This is not the world that God created. God did not create the world in this way. But the world has been affected by sin and by human reasoning. The world as it was created was meant to run under grace. But now the world runs under systems like capitalism, communism and lots of other isms. Maybe you don't feel like you're affected by an ism, but the more you're hearing all these long words, you might be having a spasm. <laughs> now, there's nothing actually wrong with some of these systems, apart from the fact that God's, God's influence is not in them. And so we live in a place where we get benefits, Nearly everyone. Is there anyone here that doesn't actually have a mobile phone? Anyone? Raise your hand if you do not have a mobile phone. Nobody. See, it's incredible. How many people have more than one? Raise your hand. If you've got more than one mobile come on, own up. Who's got more than one mobile phone? Anybody? Yeah? One. Well, okay, one person. B has... B's got about 10. <laughs> right? When you see her put a phone belt on, you wonder how she can walk. Right. <laughs> she wears them as earrings. <laughs> I've never seen one person use so many phones in my life as B uses. And, and in the church office, there's about 500 phones, and they all go off at the same time. And mine's not one of them. You know, ever, I bought a mobile phone. You know, nobody phones me. 
I got this mobile, all I do is look at the time and play the games on it. I mean, nobody rings me up at all. Everybody else's phone is going off, and I'm thinking, why, you know, I mean, you know, nobody loved me, what? But never mind. I'll give you a number. Right. Between one and ten. Oh, no, I <laughs> But the benefits we get from industry and technology are just incredible. I mean, <laughs> if I go back to when I was 15, 16 years old, right? Mobile phones then, you needed a truck to carry them around. Right? They were huge things. <laughs> they were bigger than your head. <laughs> and then you had to put the aerial up, which sort of was a, like a two-handed job, and you'd send the aerial, and the aerial was about 15 feet in the air. And, you, and, the, and they put in front of it the word mobile. <laughs> the only way it would have been mobile is you'd put wheels on it. But technology has gone more and more, further and further advanced. Now, B's got a mobile phone. Picking on B again. B's got a mobile phone. It's that small, right? When someone borrowed it the other day, they were, they were doing this. They were, they were, they were going, uh, hello. Hello. How are you? They had to move it between the, the, their mouth and their ear to be able to use it. It's, it's, is it true? No, I mean, is that true? Is that what the person did who borrowed it? Yeah, it is true. Right, so. Now, listen to this. The industry and technology that enhances our life is also the cause of the stress that we have as we try to maintain a comfortable standard of living. What's come out this week, statistics, not in the West, this is Thailand, that the biggest causes of death in Thailand this year as reported all the statistics from hospitals are stress-related diseases, heart attacks, diabetes. Do you know diabetes is stress-related? Type, type 2, that is. Not type 1. Type 2. One in four Thais have type 2 Diabetes. One in four. Eight in ten don't know. Eight in ten don't know. And so they're busy stuffing the crisps and the burgers and, and the chocolate and drinking the fizzy drinks. And they don't know they're diabetic. And they die because of it. Because if you know it, you can control it. And the other one is cancer. Many cancers come on by, because of stress. We live in a world where the rich seem to get richer and the poor get poorer. Not just in the case of individuals, but with nations too. I'm just amazed with some of the things I've seen this, this past month. Do you know China this month has bought a mountain in Peru? What on earth would China want with a mountain in Peru? Incredible. They bought this entire 
huge, gigantic mountain in the Andes. They've bought the, whole, the lot off the Peruvian government for a ridiculous sum of money. On that mountain are 15 villages. And every single person in those villages has been made homeless because the Chinese have told them, get off our property. So what on earth do they want this mountain for? Well, they want it because inside the mountain, it's copper. Enough copper to make electrical wires for the whole of China. And they've done this not just in Peru, and not just with copper, but with other raw materials and natural resources in countries throughout Africa and South America. Paying under the amount of the, the market price for copper. Right? One ton of copper sells for $8,000. But they bought the mountain so that one ton of copper that they produce from that mountain costs $20. Incredible. Now you might think, wow, the Chinese are clever. But is it fair? Is it fair that for $20 you can get a ton of copper but 15 villages, villages and all the people that live in them are homeless? Is that fair? We don't live in a fair world. Now, I stand before you as a British citizen. Now, China is doing all of this today by, by buying things from poor countries. Britain did it for hundreds of years without even paying for it. We just took it. <laughs> well, we won't get into that one tonight. <laughs> we took it. And it's not... You can go back further. Every empire has done the same thing. You don't even have to look at nations. You can look at large corporations. At the moment, the oil companies are holding the world to ransom. There's a huge meeting today of the OPEC nations because of the pressure from, from the world. The world, many countries around the world, there are riots going on. Because of the price of oil, because it's doubled in less than a year. And it's going to double again before the end of this year. Unless something is done. And if nothing is done, you know what happens after riots, don't you? Wars happen. This is the world we live in. And you know, when we live on a lovely island of Phuket, and it's marvellous and great, perhaps, uh, you know, those of us who've been here a few years know that things can get shaken up when big waves hit. But it's easy to forget, amidst the palm trees, unless a coconut hits you on the head, that, you know, uh, that there's a world out there. And it's not a fair one. There are large corporations that exploit people in poor countries. Every time you drink a cup of coffee, you've made a rich company richer and you've made a poor person poorer who's worked all day to get you that cup of coffee. 
And it's the same with any time you have sugar. It's the same with any time you have lots of the things that we take for granted that just come off the shop shelf when we go to buy. Often, business is ruthless and immoral. Heidi's not here tonight. She was here this morning, but I have lots of conversations with, with Heidi. She works in one of the biggest uh, uh, companies in the nation, own a lot of different things. They own Pizza Company, they own Swenson's, and they own lots of hotels and all kinds of things. She's working there in the office. And I have to encourage her, sometimes on the phone during the week, because of the ruthlessness and the immorality that happens in business. All the time. We're not just talking about things that are going on out there. We're talking about things that affect members of this church. This is the world we live in. So why am I painting this really black picture? Because I, f- I bet you're all feeling, I'm glad I came tonight. <laughs> it's important for us to recognize the importance of the marketplace in the nation. It is the heart of a nation. It is the lifeblood, the pulse of a nation. It creates and releases wealth so that the nation and its people can prosper. Now, under a capitalistic system, which Thailand is, and, and even actually, you know, we call China communist, but actually China's doing uh, the capitalist stuff better than the capitalists do it. Did, it. did anybody see the pictures on the news today of, of, uh, of the Olympic torch in Lhasa, in, in Tibet? And all the soldiers down the street and everything blocked off and uh, and just totally controlled so there was no trouble. The world we live in today. The oppression of nations by other nations as they impose their system on other people. And in a few weeks time we'll celebrate it by playing games with them. Now, capitalism isn't perfect. It's not a bad system. However, it's sick. Capitalism is sick. It's tainted by sin. And it's targeted by Satan. In fact, it's controlled by him. But it is the system that influences everything in the world that we know. Not just business, but politics, education, social trends, morals and law. You know, I always, I, I always think it's funny when, you, when, when we watch the American elections, right? Well, it's not as funny as the British elections, but I mean, because um, that's a real joke. But uh, the, the American, I always think it's funny because, you know, the land of the, you know, the land of opportunity, the American dream, right? Anyone can be president. No, they can't. Because it takes millions and millions of dollars to become president. Not anyone can become president. What a lie that is. Praise God. But I want to praise the Lord tonight. Because there is another dimension to things. 
Amen. So I painted the screen black so that I can get my bright colours out. There's another dimension. I want to say God is at work. Can you say amen to that? Amen. 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 How on earth are we going to influence a change in all these things? And why should we even bother to try because they all seem too big for us to have an influence on? How on earth can we do it? The first thing that we need to recognise is this. The earth belongs to the Lord. Anyone say amen to that? Amen. The earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 23 to 26 says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now when the Apostle Paul wrote this, it was after an incredible explosion in church growth. Now, over the next couple of weeks, tonight, tonight and, and, and next week, I'm going to, maybe not next week because it's a celebration service, maybe the week after. But... Uh, I'm going to destroy a few myths and a few misconceptions that have come into the church. What Paul saw in, the, in, the, in, in Corinth and in Ephesus was an incredible move of God. More so than he'd seen in any of the places that he'd previously been to. In fact... If you look at the history books, you'll find out that the church in Ephesus was the biggest in the known world at that time. Over 20,000 people in the church. And the second biggest was Corinth. The place exploded but with God. Now that's really amazing because this is the first place where they didn't allow Paul to preach in the synagogue. When he went into the town of Corinth, he went to preach in the synagogue. Nobody liked it and they said, you can't preach here again. They stopped him. So what did he do? You see, you can tell an apostle to shut up. You can say you're not welcome in this place. And all you'll do is move him somewhere else. And so Paul left the synagogue and he went to preach in the marketplace. Isn't that incredible? He went to preach in the marketplace where all the traders were. He started up in business. When he was in uh, a Corinth, he moved in with Priscilla and Aquila. And he started making tents. He knew how to make tents. Now Paul, when you read Romans, you think, this is very intense, and that's why. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> they get worse. <laughs> and there's more. Hallelujah. <laughs> and when he was in Ephesus, the same thing happened, and he moved to the school of Tyrannus. The guy's name who ran that was Rex. Oh, 
Now he preached to the business community to such effect that when the Jews tried to have him arrested, the marketplace came to his rescue. Isn't that incredible? All the business people say, keep your hands off this guy. The profits have gone up because of him. Get your hands off. And the Jews that had thrown him out of other cities were unable to do so because the marketplace had been transformed. And the marketplace was the lifeblood of the city. Hallelujah. Isn't that fantastic? And he did the same in Ephesus. And we need to do the same thing that Paul did. Because over the centuries, the focus of ministry has crept back into the church. Paul took it out there and we brought it back in. It belongs out there. You see, the gospel is marvellous, the gospel is wonderful. But when I preach the gospel in church, I'm preaching to 99% of the converted. You already, you, I preach the gospel and I say, look, you need Jesus as your saviour. You say, Amen. You need Jesus as your Lord. You say, Amen. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit. You say, Amen. You say, well, well, you need to read your Bible. You say, I do. You need to pray. You say, I have. Praise the Lord. You turn to me and you say, look, been there, done it, bought the t-shirt. It's the people outside that need to hear it. Hallelujah. Now if the earth belongs to the Lord, and we have the Lord in us, then we have a part to play in reclaiming the marketplace for the kingdom of God. Anyone say amen to that? Capitalism has become corrupted. And we can see why from that reading. It says nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Now in a capitalist system, that is possible. Do you know that? It is possible. In fact, it makes the system work better. Because God will bless it. Hallelujah. The business people that I've met, I mean, I met some incredible people in Argentina, right? And if you're a business person, you really need to go to Argentina. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and meeting, meeting some guys, I mean, it's just amazing. Ken Bowdry is a guy who owns a, a company called Bowdry Oil. Right? And now it was easy. He's making a lot of money now. He's making an awful lot of money at the moment. But do you know what he does? 51% of all the money he makes goes into the king's business. Isn't that incredible? He says Jesus is officially the major shareholder of the company. And the first part of their mission statement as a business is to plant churches. Incredible. Oil company. You know, he's play, he told me, he sat, I sat down with him with a cup of coffee, I said, what do you do? <laughs> you know, I asked some really stupid questions. 
said, what do you do? Right? You know, when he came to ask me, what do I do? I'd, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I sort of entertained a handful of people on a Sunday night <laughs> with bad jokes. Right. No, I didn't say that. Of course I didn't. Right. And I didn't feel bad either. But when, I mean, but you see what, what ordinary guys, business people do. But the key thing here is that they don't just think they're business people. They think they're marketplace ministers. They think they're ministers of the gospel in the marketplace. They don't just go to work. They go to minister. Isn't that incredible? And that's the, the adjustment that we need here. If I'd have known that this guy was one of the wealthiest guys in America, he could have bought the coffee. Hallelujah. But I blessed him anyway. Hallelujah. Now, I believe that the atoning sacrifice of Jesus was comprehensive in covering every effect of sin. I don't believe that sin has triumphed over the blood in any way. And so, God has not just redeemed me, He's redeemed the world. Amen. Hallelujah. But sometimes we don't think past us. God has redeemed the marketplace. And we need to recognize that so that we can reclaim it. Now, just think about salvation for a minute. When you give your life to Jesus, where do you invite Jesus to come? Come and live in my heart. Now, if salvation for a human is the transformation of your heart given over to God. And if the marketplace is the heart of a nation, then transformation in the same way for a nation requires the heart of the nation to be given to Jesus. Hallelujah. The marketplace has been redeemed and it needs to be reclaimed. Praise the Lord. We're going to look a lot about that. But the main emphasis on this is, as a person who works in the marketplace, do you see yourself as doing a job or do you see yourself in ministry serving Jesus? That's the key. Because when you see yourself serving Jesus in a ministry, in the place of work where you are, you will find the blessing of God will come upon you. That's the effect that Paul had in the marketplace in Corinth and in Ephesus. That's the effect that's going on in lots of places around the world. And it touches not just the marketplace as far as business is concerned, it touches politics. When I went to Hawaii to see Republicans and Democrats side by side worshipping God, but beyond that, into the Senate House in Hawaii, sitting down together and sorting out the problem in a way that didn't suit the Democrats, didn't suit the Republicans, but was good and righteous in the sight of God. Isn't that incredible? People of both political parties, of opposite ideals, 
sitting down together and saying, how can we do the best for God? Right? It can change. It's changed Hawaii so much with the, with, with the fall in the crime rate. I've told you this before. That the next state to Hawaii is California. And the Californians were looking over at Hawaii and thinking, what is going on there? They had the worst record for drunkenness beha drunk, uh, drunken behavior and people being arrested for violence, drunken related violence, in America. And now it's gone to the best. It went from the worst to the best in a matter of months. And California then gets to be the worst. So, Governor of California, Big Arnold, flies over to find out what's going on. Right? He left California, he just said, you know, I'll be back. And then he flew over to California, up to Hawaii, and had a meeting there. And actually, Ed Silvoso went to that meeting, and they led him to Jesus. So Arnold is a big brother in Christ. Is that fantastic? But not only that, some of the principles have come in to, to, to government. And he's having a real struggle because California is filled with all the kinds of weird stuff in the whole world. It's all there in California. And you've got to have a Terminator in to sort it out. So listen, number one. I'm only doing number one this week, don't worry. Number one, misconceptions that hinder transformation. There is, God, there is a God-ordained difference between clergy and laity, laity, right? This is a misconception, right? This is not something I'm promoting, this is something I'm going to speak against. There is a God-ordained difference between clergy and laity. Hang on. Yeah, clergy and laity. That's right. I want to tell you this. You can work in McDonald's selling beef burgers and be more anointed and effective in the kingdom of God than a half-hearted preacher in church. You know that? That's the truth. It's all to do with your relationship and your, your self-concept of who you are in God. You see, if you could actually understand who you are in Jesus and the authority that God gives you to minister the gospel wherever you go, if you caught that, you could turn your workplace upside down. Now, I was called by God to minister in the church. But let me tell you this. Man ordained me. Right? My ordination was done by people. They came and they laid hands on me and they did the ordination. God didn't appear and actually say, Brian, I ordain you. He didn't do that. Men did it. Now, I'm not putting that down because I believe that as the church commissions you to do something, and by that I mean the church on a wider body, right? I went to a, a conference of ministers 
I was scrutinized for a long time. People came to hear me preach, and I had to have Pastor Pete had to write lengthy dissertations on my behavior. And was I uh, a good boy or not? Right? And then a whole lot of ancient pastors with white hair came up and laid hands on me and shook my head. Right? Because it's obviously more anointed. You know it's more anointed to pray for people if you do that. Right? Malcolm will know what I'm on about. Right. Now, <laughs> so they did a lot of shaking and stuff and they prayed for me and they ordained me to be a minister. Now that is a good thing because other ministers recognize your authority to do what you're doing. That is a good thing. I'm not putting that down at all. But what I'm trying to say is, you're just as called as I am. Amen. Right? But there's a lot of churches in the world where pastors speak down to their congregation. Now, the only way I do that is because you're all sat down and I'm stood up. But I'm sure you know what I mean. But praise God, not here. Not here. Because you are the frontline troops out in the world, right? I'm the guy who comes and runs around sticking plasters on. That's one of my roles, anyway. To encourage you and challenge you. God's called me to be the minister in the pulpit. But God has called you to be a minister in the workplace, in the marketplace. That's where the action is. Hallelujah. Somehow, over the years, we've only commissioned shepherds. And we fail to commission the people on the front line. If you look at church history, you'll see that the gospel spread rapidly because of two types of people. And it wasn't preachers and pastors. It spread through merchants and soldiers. Incredible, isn't it? The gospel spread all over the world because of soldiers and merchants. So what are we going to do about that? We're going to do something about that as a church. Because when I was in uh, Argentina, I went to this meeting. It was in the football stadium. There were tens of thousands of people there. Just a huge. And it was just from this one city. It wasn't a national rally or anything. It was just 20, 20 churches in the city hold, held a meeting. And they filled all the stadiums. Incredible. Now, there were, there were 20 pastors there of churches. And they were all up on the front. And the reason why they were there is because they were going to, to ordain 2,500 marketplace ministers. In other words, people who've got to work for a living, right? I always, I, I've had said to me sometimes, you know, Oh, what are you? You're a pastor? Oh, I work for a living. <laughs> Praise God. So, we're pastors, we're lazy, we, don't, we only work one day a week. Yeah. So, um, two thousand five hundred ministers going out, and they'd all got their, their certificates, and they got ordained and recognized in the city as ministers of Jesus Christ. 
with the authority to minister in the name of the church that they belong to. Incredible. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to run a marketplace minister's course in church. And we're going to commission you. And we're going to honour you as marketplace ministers. We're going to ordain you to take the gospel to the places of work in this city. Isn't that fantastic? Now, we might not be 2,500 this time, but we'll work towards it. Hallelujah. When I went to Hawaii, I was having lunch. And all these people were all, it was a businessman's lunch, and I was invited to go to it. So I sat down eating. And then they announced me to speak. Nobody bothered to tell me I was speaking, but praise God. But anyway, I went up and I just shared a few things about Thailand. And there's all these guys there and women. And there were lawyers, there were doctors, people had their own businesses, politicians, all kinds of people there. And they were all there to be ordained as ministers in Honolulu, just in Honolulu, just in the one city. Praise God. So what am I saying? You are just as called to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as I am. No difference. You have just as much potential. You have just as much anointing. You are the pastor of your office, the evangelist of your school, the teacher of your street, and the prophet in your relationships. God has called you. You know the Bible tells us that. We read it and we wonder, actually, I always wonder actually what people think about what it means in 1 Peter 2.9. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12. It says you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. That means you're pastors. A holy nation. A people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Anyone say amen to any of this? Amen. Hallelujah. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Hallelujah. Do you know the marketplace is yours for the taking? You know, I think it's time for a change. It's time for a change. This last week in Carabri, in fact, yesterday, um, B had an experience. She was walking up the road in Carabri, and this um, disabled boy... That's an understatement. This disabled boy started to attack her. So, um, she managed to have a conversation with the father and asked if we could go back and, and pray for him later. 
so uh, she got back unscathed. And a few of us went round to visit this boy, and he's 23, well, man, he's 23 years old. His legs are bent over at the knee so that he cannot stand up. He's totally crippled, he's mute. We don't know whether he understands anything at all. His parents don't know whether or not he understands certain things. He hasn't got anything. All he got on, his, on, his, on himself was a, was a shirt. That's all he got. Uh, uh, like a football shirt. The only thing he can do is make noises. He dribbles consistently. They keep him outside where you park the car. And he lives on the floor outside. Because they can't do anything with him. It's the fl only flat area they've got, which is probably somewhere where he's not going to hurt himself too much. But he's got nasty bumps on his forehead where he bangs the, head with his bangs the floor with his head. God's got to take us to a place where we can meet the needs of these people. I'm, I am just had enough of using really good excuses to explain why we can't help people. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure we've all been there, haven't we? Because the bottom line is, the faith wasn't there. Wasn't, good, wasn't strong enough to change things. And, it, and it's got to, you know, I'm talking to me, because you weren't there, I was there. A few of us were. But God's got to do something, you know, and, and all this teaching about transformation, it's not just the latest fad. I don't believe that at all. It's not just the latest fad. Because transformation, if it's going to happen in the nation, it's going to happen in the city, it's got to start here first. It's got to start in me. Because either I believe in the power of God or I don't. God's got to transform things. And if God's going to transform things, he's got to transform me. Now we did see something happen. As we, we, we went in the car and as we saw the boy in the distance, we stopped the car and we started to pray. God, minister your peace in this situation. An incredible thing happened because the father said to us, as we, we actually knelt round the boy, and, and, and he started to, to smile, you know, in, in his way. And he was smiling at us all, and he was laughing, and he was happy. And the father says he's not, he's not happy very often. He said, in fact, he never lets anybody close to him. And yet we were all around him, holding his hand and, and hugging him and, and, uh, and things that the, the father was just amazed that he would let us close to him. But we prayed God's peace over this boy. I didn't have any kind of spiritual insight. But I just felt so much compassion. 
And I just thought, God, I need you to work in me to the point where I don't just come for a visit, but I come for transformation. That I see it take place by your power. I made a commitment to the Father then that I say, I'm coming to see your son every Friday. And I made a commitment to God, I'm coming, Lord, because this is my challenge. I need to come and I need to see you do something for this boy. I need to see transformation in this, in this boy. We've seen miracles in Crabbury already. We've seen people totally transformed. We've seen one guy that was completely bent up and transformed. Completely healed. And yet, nothing happens with this boy. And I'm sure we've got circumstances, maybe not as, as dramatic as that, but still circumstances in our own life where we've needed required faith. And when it comes to it, we know in our hearts that the faith's not been there. And we make excuses. I believe God is teaching us something new. It's going to take us to a place where we really see that He is the God of all the earth. That He loves the people so much. That He loves you and me. And he wants us to be a real channel of his blessing. A real channel of his blessing. So that wherever we go, we can demonstrate the love of God. You know, we can feel condemned at times by our inability to serve God in the way we ought to. And I don't want to condemn anybody. But I want to say, God is going to do a new thing. And if we're open to Him, He will do that new thing through us. You see, I want to be able to say, silver and gold have I none. But what I have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I want to be able to say that. I want to know with the conviction that God has given me to say that. In every situation... I actually, actually, I've actually said that once in my life. And someone that was crippled with a broken back got up and walked. Actually done it. And the very next time I came to pray for someone who got toothache, it didn't work. You see, we, we have moments, don't we? We have moments where we glimpse the power of God. But Lord, if it's revival, then the power is here. The power is here. There was a woman, when we first started this church, there was a woman that fell off the... the there used to be a cinema in, in Soy Nimit. And a woman fell off the roof of the cinema and broke her back. And they brought her to me. She was completely paralysed. They'd actually took her to the hospital first and she hadn't got any money so they wouldn't do anything. 
This was before the King's 30 Bart scheme. This is about 19 years ago. And they put her on the back of a, back of a pickup truck and brought her back and put her out on the floor outside the, what we had as, as the church. And I went out to her and I knelt by her side and just felt this incredible move of compassion through me. I knew it was God. And I just said the words, silver and gold, have I none? And they couldn't understand what I was saying because I didn't know what that was in Thai at the time. My Thai hadn't progressed that far. So I just, silver and gold, have I none? But what I have in the name of Jesus and Nazareth, rise up and walk. And she got up. And she didn't understand the word I was saying. Incredible. And she walked. And kept on walking. I haven't seen her since. Sometimes that happens. Jesus healed ten lepers. Only one came back. It's amazing. Some of the people who have, have experienced... There's not really... Incredible miracles. All I can say is only one the par here. Out of all the people we've raised up, one the par is still here. Praise the Lord for one the par. But I tell you what, there's a greater miracle, that's salvation. So praise God, a lot of those are still here. But you, but you understand what I'm saying? This teaching, I believe, is going to transform us, but it has to transform us first. It has to take us to a place where we see the glory of God. Don't you want to go there? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, what we're in the business of is life and death. And you've ordained every single one of us. You have called every single one of us to be your ministers. There's not a system of clergy and laity in this church. We are all ministers for the Lord Jesus. We are all builders in his kingdom. And Lord, we know there's a tough task ahead when I think of that boy Lord God, I don't know what's happening, but I do know, I do know that yesterday I laid a brick for the kingdom of God at his feet. And I'm going to build a place of worship to you around that boy. Week by week as I go, I'm going to dedicate that place to him. Dedicate that place to you through him and see him come to you and know you and love you. Set him free. From, from the incredible torturous life that he must live. The pain he is in. The anguish he's in. That causes him to strike out in anger. But Father I pray that he would know. That he was touched by the peace of God yesterday. He might not know his mother and father's name. But he can know the peace of God. And so, Father, we pray that you would cause us to be able to go beyond 
the places that have caused us to stumble in the past. To extend our faith. It was always the cry of the disciples, Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray. Show us how to have faith. And Lord, that's what we want. But we know for that to happen, transformation has to happen here. The difference between Luke 9 and Luke 10 was the transfiguration. Being in the presence of God. And so, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. That you would move in us. We would recognize, Lord God, that your calling is upon our lives. And that you will equip us and enable us to serve you for your glory and for the establishment of your kingdom. Father, we pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I'll be giving you an announcement about when we uh, start the Anointed for Business course. It will be on a Saturday. And um, it's the same course that they run in Argentina. So um, it's going to be exciting. And uh, then one celebration service after we finish that, we'll uh, ordain you marketplace ministers, those of you who want to come along. So um, I'll let you know the details of that, and then you can uh, sign up for the course. Praise God. Bless you. There are refreshments.